champions. And I appreciate Miss Therese after spending all week up in the hospital um, uh, in Denver, getting adjusted for the health trial that she's been going through, uh, standing here and blessing us with that truth in song this Sunday. It was a blessing to my heart. Well, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm excited to dive into our study here, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be finishing uh, chapter number two uh, in our study through the book of Philippians. Now, I told you last week in the closing words of Philippians chapter two, the Apostle Paul puts forward two prime examples of everything that he has been challenging us as believers to do uh, throughout the, the really the first part of the book of Philippians. And uh, these two men that he speaks about, we learned about the first one last week, his name was Timotheus, and now we're going to look at the second one, and his name was Epaphroditus. Now say that out loud with me, here we go, Epaphroditus. All right, you passed the test, all right? I thought some of you would butcher it, you did good, okay? Um, if the person next to you didn't say it right, point at them. No, I'm just kidding, don't do that. Um, but... This is a difficult name in the scripture, uh, and yet what a wonderful truth is uh, revealed to us through the life story of this man. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25, here's what the Bible has to say about him. It says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because he had heard that he had been sick." For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But I want you to read the next verse, the next words out loud with me. But God had mercy on him. Don't you love that? But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Epaphroditus, that's what the Bible begins to, this is the person God begins to tell us about here in the scriptures. Epaphroditus was a member of the local church there in Philippi. And he had been sent, as we find out later, more specifically in Philippians chapter 4, he had been sent by the church in Philippi to bring a, a love gift or a love offering, um, a, a, a collection of money and other resources that the church in Philippi had put together to bring to Paul. Uh, and, and they had sent Epaphroditus as their ambassador to bear this message of love and this token of love to Paul while Paul was in prison, because Paul couldn't support himself. Not only did we find that that's what he did, but uh, they also sent Epaphroditus to stay and to help Paul, help Paul in his ministry, because Paul was in prison and there wasn't a lot that he could do for himself at that point in time. And the Bible tells us that Epaphroditus went and he delivered the gift, the love gift to Paul, and after he had gotten there and had served with Paul for some time, at some point, some people think it was just a few months. He had gotten deathly sick and he almost died in, in, in the exercise of this ministry that he had been sent to accomplish by the church in Philippi. And so when Paul wrote this letter to, back to the church in Philippi, God put it on his heart to send the letter by the hand. They didn't have a postman that day and time. He decided to send the letter by the hand of Epaphroditus because he knew that the church back there had heard 
that Epaphroditus was about to die, and they were worried about him. And so he wanted to send this letter back by the hand of this man named Epaphroditus. Now, truth be told, Epaphroditus is relatively unknown by most of Christendom. Uh, I never learned about Epaphroditus in Sunday school. Uh, maybe you did, but I don't remember ever learning about Epaphroditus. Um, and I would venture to say that if I asked most Christians to tell me who Epaphroditus is, they would not have a clue to be able to say who he was. And so one thing we could say about Epaphroditus was just an ordinary guy. Right? He's not somebody that just, no, but nobody's, I've never heard someone say, well, Epaphroditus is my favorite Bible character. All right? I don't read stories about great men of God from the past, and a, there's a whole chapter about Epaphroditus, although there could be, really. But Epaphroditus is just, not, he's, he's really a nobody in Scripture. I love this because the truth of the matter is God loves to use nobodies, ordinary people, accomplishes extraordinary work. It's the type of people that God prefers to use, by the way. And though he's relatively unknown to us, he is not unknown to God. And God thought his ministry so significant that he wrote about it here in the scriptures for us. And really, Epaphroditus is an example of the caliber of Christian that God wants you to be and God wants me to be. And so we're going to learn about Epaphroditus, and I believe in learning about him that God wants us to be challenged to be more like this dear servant of God. And here's the significant truth that we learn about Epaphroditus here. Epaphroditus was a man who literally risked it all. He put his life on the line for the cause of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in, uh, uh, this, in, in, in one of these verses here, it says that he did not regard his own life in verse number 30. He, he, he did everything that he did not regarding his own life. That literally means that he risked his life to do what God had called him to do. And listen, he didn't risk his life for recognition, for, for, uh, for a reward. He didn't get any of those things. He didn't do it for fame. Nobody knows who he is hardly. He didn't do it for that reason. He simply did what he did, laying his life on the line for Jesus because he loved Jesus and because he wanted to see Jesus' mission accomplished in, in this world. I venture to say that's something all of us should emulate in our lives as well. And uh, it's not a common thing in Christianity today to say, but the truth of the matter is God is calling us to risk it all for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, I did a little bit of a study of the, the etymology of the name Epaphroditus. I did a little word study on it, and it was interesting what I discovered. The name Epaphroditus was a very common name in the Greek culture in the time when the Bible was written. But it wasn't just a name, it was a common word that was spoken by the Greeks in particular in that day and time. And Epaphroditus is a name that, that was named after the Greek goddess uh, Aphrodite. How many of you know who that is? All right, Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love and beauty and by chance luck as well. She was the goddess of luck. And so Epaphroditus uh, was a phrase that people would say um, like good luck. In uh, the Greek games, a lot of them involved dice, and they would, they would roll their dice, and they would say Epaphroditus because they wanted the favor of Aphrodite. They wanted the good luck of Aphrodite when they rolled the dice. And so uh, because of that, the name Epaphroditus came to be known as lovely or favored or charming. 
Um, and that's what most people looking back on the name uh, think that it means. But the history of it is significant because Epaphroditus himself in the scripture, we could put it this way, he rolled the dice with his life for Jesus. Now, by the way, this is the only form of gambling that God condones, okay? So don't take the message the wrong way and say, well, the preacher said I could gamble on Sunday. That is not true. And God is very clear about that. But when it comes to, hey, staking your life for Jesus, risking it all for Jesus, that's not a gamble. It's going to come through every single time. That's what God's calling us to, like Epaphroditus, to risk it all to, uh, uh, for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants us to be like. And so from Epaphroditus, we learn how to risk it all for Jesus. And as we study his life, we're going to discover a biblical description of what I like to call sacrificial Christian service. And uh, God is calling us to be sacrificial in our service to him. And from Epaphroditus, he teaches us how that is supposed to happen. And so there are really four facets to this biblical description of sacrificial Christian service I want you to notice with me today. Before we even begin, I want to pray, and before we pray, I want to ask you this question. What are you willing to risk, Jesus? This is the last time you took a risk, Jesus, what you felt like God was calling you to do. We pray, I want you to ponder on that, and we'll dive into our study today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time to be able to open your word. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts as well to your word and our minds to focus on your truth. And I pray, God, that you would speak to hearts as only you can. And Lord, as you have ministered to my heart uh, through this study uh, and preparation to present this truth, I pray now that you do even more so in the hearts of those who hear the truth communicated today. Give me power, Lord, to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we're going to look at four facets of a biblical description of sacrificial Christian service. The first thing I want you to note down is the model of sacrificial service. If you're taking notes this morning, the model of sacrificial service. Look at verse 25 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. All right, we're just getting started, so you better still be with me, all right? I'm going to keep the same deal I did last week. I said, the more you say amen, the faster I go, all right? Now it's true last week, okay? I usually go 45, 50 minutes. I ended at 35 minutes. And so you did just keep those amens coming, all right? All right, verse number 25, the Bible says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Paul had nothing but good to say about this guy, Epaphroditus. Uh, when he, when he, as he's sending him back, all he has to say about Epaphroditus are good things. And the indication of the text is that uh, 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 Epaphroditus had been sent to bring a love gift from the Philippians to Paul and to stay on and serve him as was needed, as we talked about a little bit ago. However, that time was cut short. Because Paul had decided to send Epaphroditus back. And as we have already read, we discovered the reason why he was deciding to send Epaphroditus home was because he had been sick. And Paul knew that the church was worried about their church family member um, because they didn't have an easy way of communicating in that day and time. The point is, as Paul's sending Epaphroditus back, when Epaphroditus walked back home and he got to see his church family, he didn't want him to walk in the door and feel like a failure. And he didn't want the, the church to look at Epaphroditus and say, hey, we sent you to do a mission in helping Paul. Why are you home early? Because really, he's coming home having 
uh, having had a stellar record for the Lord and serving the Lord. And so Paul didn't want uh, his being, uh, being coming home to be, uh, to be received in a negative sense. And so he gives him a glowing recommendation. And he expressed how this man was a model of sacrificial service for the Lord. And so the question that we must answer is, what are the defining qualities of a sacrificial servant of the Lord? And I believe as we look at Epaphroditus' life, we see what those defining qualities are. The first one I want you to note down is that he is a fellow believer. He is a fellow believer. The first thing that Paul mentions here in verse 25 is that Epaphroditus, he is my brother. That's what he says, he's my brother. I don't believe this is talking about a physical brotherhood. It's talking about a spiritual brotherhood. In other words, he's saying he's my brother in Christ. Sometimes uh, I've grown up in church my whole life, and so church culture is not abnormal to me, but I'll get around somebody who's never really been in church, and I'll talk about brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and they're like, what are you talking? Are you in a cult? What's wrong with you? So we call each other brother and sister so-and-so. Well, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why. And that's essentially what Paul is referring to Epaphroditus as here. Uh, it's interesting, we talked about Timothy last week, and when he talked about Timothy, Timothy, Paul said, he's my son. He said, Epaphroditus, he's my brother. Right? And there was a difference in the relationship there. Uh, he had a friendship, an affinity, a companionship, a camaraderie with this man named Epaphroditus. And by the way, can I just say one of, life's, one of this, this life's greatest privileges to have such brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, the Bible actually says, it literally says that, uh, that you can be closer in a friendship and in an affinity with, with, with fellow believers in Jesus Christ than you are with even your own blood brothers and sisters. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18 says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And primarily that's Jesus, but I believe it's also true of some brothers and sisters in Christ that we're privileged to have on this side of eternity. And so this is why this is a defining quality for Epaphroditus, because Epaphroditus, what Paul's essentially saying here is, he valued the family of God. Can I say a sacrificial servant of the Lord is going to value highly the family of God? Paul said, this guy is my brother. No, oh, we're church family. When you're family, love each other, no matter what. Your family, you'll drop everything and do something for one of your family members if they need you. Your family, you're there for each other. And that's what we're supposed to be as the church as well. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, and especially unto those who are of the household of faith. And boy, if we ought to bend over backwards to help anybody, it should be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he said, this guy is a model of sacrificial service because he's a fellow believer. A second thing I see he mentions is he mentions that he is a fellow laborer. A fellow laborer. The next thing Paul says there in verse 25 is that Epaphroditus is my companion in labor. Uh, the Greek word used here is, is synergos, and it literally means fellow laborer or fellow helper. And so Paul considered Epaphroditus to be his co laborer in the ministry of the Lord. In other words, he didn't sit on the sidelines. 
Right, he got involved. He rolled up. He knew how to roll up his sleeves and get to work. He didn't go there to sit and, and wait to be told to do something. He found what to do. He was in the work with Paul. They were co-laborers in the ministry of the Lord. And he really fulfilled what Paul was challenging the Philippian church to do earlier. In chapter 1, verse 27, when he said we need to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And boy, that's what Epaphroditus did. He came and he was striving together with Paul for the sake of the gospel. And so I find that a sacrificial servant of the Lord knows how to work alongside the people of God. Knows how to be a co-laborer in the work of God. I think one of the saddest truths of our time is that people just don't want to work, do they? They just don't want to work. And boy, we grumble about it and all the uh, help wanted signs on t uh, around town. And boy, but when somebody gets up and says, hey, we need some help in the church. Oh, maybe we should just post a help wanted sign out front. huh? Maybe that'll help help some of us. Friend, there's plenty of stuff to get involved in the work of the Lord as well. There's, there's more need than there, is, than there are people who are meeting the need. And it's equally true of us as the people of God uh, it's, just, it's really the same way inside the church, though. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to get involved. And that's, we, we have many, many people that serve, and so don't, don't take this as a slap in the face. But by and large, we look at the percentage of people that are actually involved are very few compared to the number of people that come to our church. And that's something we definitely need to grow in. Uh, by the way, one of the things I found out about this is usually it's the people that uh, don't want to get involved that are the most prone to complain about the people that are involved. I better get off of this. Y'all going to get mad at me right from the beginning here, okay? But let me just say, we, we should each determine uh, to work for the Lord and to work together for the Lord. We're not working against each other. We're working together for the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.9, the Bible says we are laborers together with God. We're on the same team. We're all after the same goal of seeing souls saved and lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's be co-laborers. A sacrificial servant knows how to work alongside other believers for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so what's the, uh, what's the model here? Well, a sacrificial servant is a fellow believer. He's a fellow laborer. A third thing I want you to note down is that he is a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. That's what he says next in verse 25. About Epaphroditus, he says he's a fellow soldier. Uh, this is a really fun Greek word. It actually speaks of someone battling beside another person. And so what we find about Epaphroditus was he was not just working alongside Paul. He was warring alongside Paul. They were in a spiritual battle together. And you make no mistake about it. Hey, Paul was in Rome. And in a couple years after this, Paul died in Rome fighting this spiritual battle. They killed him. Uh, the, he was martyred for the faith. And you better believe that there was persecution. You better believe there was a spiritual battle taking place as Epaphroditus was there serving along, alongside Paul. And boy, they had to war with each other. They had to look out for each other in the spiritual battle that was taking place. And it reminds me of what Paul told the Philippians to do in chapter 1 and verse 27 when he said, hey, I want you to stand fast with one spirit. Stand fast. We looked at it several weeks ago. It literally means to be at your post. And uh, what the Bible is calling us to here is to, is to uh, stand together in spiritual warfare. And let me say, a, a sacrificial servant of the Lord knows how to strive together for the faith of the gospel. 
knows how to fight a spiritual battle alongside his brothers and sisters in Christ. He will not only stand his ground, but he'll watch out for others too. And that's what God's called us to as, as believers. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is perhaps the most well-known passage of Scripture uh, about spiritual warfare. And uh, this type of servant of God doesn't just do what verse 10 says. When verse 10 tells us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But he goes further than that to verse 18 when it says he's praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know what watching is talking about? I'm in a battle. I'm not fighting alone. Watching is talking about looking out for my brothers beside me. Boy, if the enemy's coming up behind, enemy's coming up behind my brother, I'm going to go run to his aid, and he might not see the blow coming, but boy, I'm going, I'm going to deflect it for him. It means watching out for each other. A sacrificial servant of the Lord, like Epaphroditus did for Paul, is willing to come and war alongside somebody and help someone fight the spiritual battle that they're facing. How prone we are just to stand back and shake our heads at people when they're struggling spiritually. Instead of being a brother that will run to their aid and help them fight the spiritual battle for the Lord. Church, can I say that we ought to be all about strengthening each, strengthening each other in this fight instead of trying to tear each other down? A sacrificial servant of the Lord is a fellow believer, a fellow laborer, a fellow soldier. But I want you to see a fourth thing. He is a fellow missionary. A fellow missionary. The next quality that Paul mentions about Epaphroditus here is he says he is your messenger. So what he mentions about him next in verse number 25. That word messenger, the Greek word apostolos, where we get our English word apostle. And so I looked at that and I thought, oh, does that mean that Epaphroditus was like one of the apostles? Like Jesus' apostles? No, that's not what the scripture is saying. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear with the pronoun that's used. He says he's your apostle, not Jesus's apostle, but he was an apostle sent by the church at Philippi. Now, the word apostle, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that literally speaks of one who is sent forth. And uh, we have people we send forth today still. We don't call them apostles. You know what we call them? Missionaries. You know what Epaphroditus was? He's a missionary sent by the church at Philippi to go help in the gospel ministry of the Apostle Paul. And he was willing to go as the church sent him and as God has call, had called him. And let me just say, a sacrificial servant of the Lord will be a missionary. Will be someone who's willing to bear the message of God to his part of the world. And I tell you, all of us should be missionaries. You live in a part of the world, don't you? Have a mission field. Starting with your family, starting with your community. Our mission field is right here in Montezuma County, directly. And God has called us to preach the gospel and help people come to faith in Jesus Christ right here in our mission field. Now, from time to time, I've had people say, well, Pastor, I feel like God's calling me to the mission field. Why? <laughs> well, maybe they haven't said that, but uh, hey, Hawaii needs Jesus too, okay? I, I always go back to saying the same thing to them, though. Listen. If you will not be a missionary right where you are, there's no way you'll be a missionary if you go halfway around the world. If you don't tell, Jesus, tell people about Jesus right where you are, don't expect that you'll do it when you go halfway around the world, estranged and, and away from the people that you know and love. It starts right here where you're at. 
And uh, uh, this guy, Epaphroditus, he was a model of a sacrificial servant because he was this missionary who had been sent forth. And then a fifth thing I see about him as a model of his service was that he was a fellow servant. The Bible says in verse 25 at the end of the verse that Epaphroditus was someone who ministered to my wants, Paul said. He ministered to my wants. The word ministered comes from a Greek word, and let me see if I can pronounce it for you here. I am no Greek scholar. Liturgos um, is the Greek word, and it's the same word from which we get our English word liturgy. Uh, in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, uh, this word is used to speak about the uh, priestly ministry of the Levitical priests. And, uh, of course, in, uh, in, in some churches so-called today that still exercise priestly ministry, uh, which has been done away with if you read Hebrews. But anyways, um, I'm going distra- to distract myself talking about this, but... They would still refer to it as liturgy. By the way, uh, let me just go ahead and say it because I'm thinking about it. Thank God we're our own priests before God. We can bring our own sacrifices of prayer and praise to the Lord. Amen? Um, but that's, that's the history of the word. It is speaking of liturgy. And this is a significant word in history as well because the Greek in the Greek culture, and this is what I think Paul had in mind when he said this, they would have these Greek city-states Uh, that were kind of independent from the government. And in these city-states, people would become very proud of their city. Uh, These city-states would have their own armies, all right? Um, And they would would do everything they could to be self-supporting and take care of themselves and not depend on the federal government, we could say. And, uh, And inside these cities, there were very patriotic men and women who would step up to the plate and at their own expense and on their own time perform acts of civic Uh, duty and civic service to benefit the welfare of their city. And these people in the Greek culture became known as the liturgoi. Um, they They were people who at great personal expense worked sacrificially to benefit their city. And when Paul's talking about Timothy here, he says, Timothy was my liturgoi. He was a guy who at great personal expense and on his own time and on his own dime, he came and help take care of me. Help me do my gospel ministry. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful uh, ascription that is given here to this guy, Epaphroditus. And by the way, the Apostle Paul knew something about serving at his own expense. He never took a paycheck. Um, he worked in many churches, but he always did his own work on the side. And uh, uh, that was something that was significant about the, the Apostle Paul. And uh, uh, he wasn't, uh, Epaphroditus wasn't doing something that Paul himself hadn't done. Reminds me of what Paul told the Philippians to do in chapter 2 and verse 4 when he said, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so here's what we conclude Sacrificial servant of the Lord sets his own needs aside to meet the needs of others. He is a fellow servant. That's what God's called us to, to put others first. We'll talk about that more later. What a guy Epaphroditus was. I mean, Paul gives this glowing description of the testimony and service of Epaphroditus. And truth be told, every one of us ought to want to emulate this guy in our own life. To be this fellow believer, this fellow soldier, this fellow laborer, this fellow servant, and so on and so forth. 
And so the first, the first facet of this description we notice is the model of sacrificial service. Here's the second thing I want you to take note of, and that is the motive. The motive of sacrificial service. Now, for me, after Paul gives this glowing description of this guy, Epaphroditus, in the scriptures, thing, the question that comes to my mind is, if he's such a big help and he's such a good guy, why would you send him off? And you're in prison and you need the help. Why are you trying to send him away? And then I think about it from Epaphroditus' perspective. He had been called to go help Paul. He was there helping Paul. Why would he leave? If that's what he felt like God had called him to do. And so what I'm getting at is, what, were the, what was the motive for their actions? Why did they do what the Bible says that they did here? And uh, what we have in looking at their testimony are several compelling motivations or factors that pushed them to make the decision that they made uh, in a sacrificial way. The first one I want you to know is this. A sacrificial servant is motivated by a greater benefit. By a greater benefit. Verse number 25, look at it again. The Bible says, Yet I supposed it, what? Necessary, necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. That word necessary in the Greek, it literally means indispensable, or it's translated in other places in the Bible as more needful. And what Paul was saying here is literally, uh, uh, hey, it is more needful for you to have Epaphroditus than it is for me to have him here. Truth be told, Paul was doing what was better for the church than he was for himself. Because to not have Epaphroditus there to help him, to support him, was going to be a big blow to Paul. And so Paul was doing this at some sacrificial expense to himself. But as he looked at the, at the condition of the church in Philippi, and as he looked at, at, at Epaphroditus himself, he realized that they needed Epaphroditus more than he did. Verse 28, he goes on to say in verse 28, I sent him therefore the more carefully... That means more hastily or, or more earnestly I sent him that when you see him you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Paul had their greatest benefit in mind. He didn't have his own greatest benefit in mind. He had their best interests in mind. And he knew that if he sent Epaphroditus back to them, that was what was going to be best for the church in Philippi and it would also relieve him of having to worry about uh, about what was going on in Philippi because they were so concerned about Epaphroditus. And so what we can conclude is that a sacrificial servant is motivated by what most benefits the cause of Christ. Motivated by what most benefits the cause of Christ. Now hear me out on this. Oftentimes, serving the Lord means you do what will be most helpful to others instead of what is most convenient or helpful for yourself. That's what we can conclude. We live in a society that is consumed with self-care. Oh, I just need to take some time for myself. I, maybe, maybe there's a place for that, but I'm telling you, I never see anything like that communicated in the scripture. Once. What I do see is people who put themselves aside and at their own expense and to their own detriment help others cause of Jesus Christ. That's what we do see happening in the scriptures. In God's economy, to understand this, God comes first, others come second, there's you. Our society wants to put self first, and if I take care of myself, then I'll have time for God, and I'll have time for others, and we put it backwards, really. 
put it backwards. And it ought not be that way. And I'm glad we have an example like Epaphroditus to remind us how our priorities are supposed to be listed in our life. By the way, Paul exhibited this spirit in 2 Corinthians 12, 15 when he said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Even if it means that I have to pour out my own life and spend up my own life to help you, I'm going to put you first, me second. That's what Paul said. Jesus told us in John chapter 15 that there is no greater expression of love to put your life on the line to benefit someone else. John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, than that a man what? Lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus told us. And boy, we could learn from this truth. And so let me ask you, when was the last time that you inconvenienced yourself to help somebody? Convenienced yourself. You won't even pull over on the side of the road to help someone fix their tire. Right? I'm talking about bigger, bigger and, and, more grand, and grander things than even that. We are, we are so focused on ourselves, our own schedules. It's a problem in our contemporary society. Another question. When last did you sacrifice your best interests to further the cause of Jesus Christ? We, we, as American citizens, can have an issue with this. But the motivation that compelled Epaphroditus and Paul to sacrificially serve the Lord was, hey, they sacrificially served because they were concerned about a greater benefit. Not what most benefited them, but what most benefited the cause of Christ and other people. All right. Now, here's the second motivation. Not only a greater benefit, but a sacrificial servant is motivated by a greater burden greater burden. Verse number 26, the Bible says this, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he, ye had heard that he had been sick. Now, there's several motivations that are really interconnected here that I want us to look at. The first one he mentions is that Epaphroditus longed after them. That, that means that he had a strong desire to see him. Now, some people try to say, well, this is because Epaphroditus was homesick. I don't believe that was the case if you study the passage out. I, I, think, I think that he had more noble aspirations than just mere homesickness here. He longed after them, and then the Bible says he was full of heaviness. That means he was in anguish, or, or he was weighed down deeply in concern for the people uh, in Philippi. Interestingly, this, this phrase, full of heaviness, is the same Greek word that is used to describe the toil and turmoil that Jesus faced in Gethsemane. When he, when he sweat great, great drops of blood, the Bible says. And it's the same kind of turmoil that, that Epaphroditus was facing in his spirit. This was the kind of distress that follows a great traumatic shock, one person says. And so what was the great shock? Well, for one, he almost died, okay? That's kind of shocking. Uh, I think that uh, if any of us went through something like that, we would, uh, our life would be a little bit different um, if we had nearly died. And for Timothy, or from, sorry, for Epaphroditus, he had almost died. And yet, even though that was the case, he wasn't full of heaviness and, and had this great longing in his heart because he was concerned about himself. He was concerned about the people back home. Like I told you earlier, they didn't have good forms of communication in that time. And he was worried about the people who were worried about him. And Paul was worried about Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus was worried about the people who were worried about him. All right? 
And so everybody's worried about everybody else, okay? And like I told you last week with Timothy, um, it's okay to be full of care when it's not about your, your own life and your, and your own self when you have, or when you're carrying other people's burdens. And that's what Epaphroditus was doing here in this passage. And so in, uh, to sum it up here, a sacrificial servant doesn't want to be a burden. He wants to be a blessing. He doesn't want to be a burden to people. He wants to be a blessing. This is kind of... Epaphroditus is kind of a weird guy. What, what kind of person is this way? Have you ever been around a person that every time you get around them, they never talk about themselves. Somehow you're in conversation with them, and it seems like all you ever do is talk about you with them, and you leave really encouraged. You ever met somebody like that before? I have. And uh, sometimes uh, this, this, some, of, this, some of you are, are this type of person for me in this room here. And... Uh, it uh, seems like I can't even get you to talk about yourself. You're so concerned and you want to you talk about me, you want to talk about the church, you want to talk about other things, and it's a wonderful thing to be around a person like this. They don't want to be a burden. They want to be a blessing. And can I tell you, as the church, God has literally called us to be this way for each other. Galatians 6 and verse 2, what does it say? Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to be burden bearers for each other. And that's so significant. And so he was motivated by a greater burden. He was more burdened for the people uh, who were worried about him than he was for himself and his own health. A third motivation I see that a sacrificial servant has is a motive, he's motivated by a greater blessing. Verse 27. Verse 27, the Bible tells us this, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Another motive for Epaphroditus coming back to Philippi was to share with the believers there what God had done in his life. Think about this with me. Why was it a, better, why, why was it a greater blessing for him to go back himself? Couldn't he have sent someone else to tell him, hey, I'm fine? Yeah, he could have sent someone else. But listen, if you thought someone that you loved was sick and was about, was about to die, how much of a greater blessing would it be if all of a sudden they walk in the door and say, hey, I'm doing just fine? Epaphroditus wanted to go back to give them firsthand knowledge of the fact that God had healed him. God had taken care of him. He wanted to give glory to God for what God had done in his life and go back and testify to a group of people that he dearly loved. And uh, that's significant uh, for us to see here in the scriptures. And uh, Paul said that doing this would keep them from experiencing sorrow upon sorrow. <coughs> that literally means wave upon wave of grief. He didn't want uh, these people to be overwhelmed with grief. And that's why they wanted to send Epaphroditus back to be with them. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Epaphroditus' sickness was. And there's a lot of speculation as to what it could be. Uh, and I find it interesting. Epaphroditus was serving a man who, in the New Testament, literally healed people. God used Paul to heal people. Look at that and I think, well, Paul, come on, man, just help, help the guy out. The truth is, toward the end of the book of Acts, there are no records of any healing taking place. Listen to me on this. 1 Corinthians 13 makes clear that some of those signed gifts faded away. They were, they were used for a certain time to prove the validity of the gospel. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, there came a point where healing was not something that God enabled people to do. And he's still not enabled people. You're not going to walk up here and me, let me smack you on the forehead and anything happened to you except you hurt your forehead, okay? 
that being the case, no man could heal Epaphroditus. But what does the verse say? God had mercy on him. God can still heal. God's still in the business of doing miracles in his own way and, 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 and in his own power. And it doesn't need you or I to be his channel to do it. I've seen miracles happen. And I'm thankful people being healed of sicknesses and all uh, types of situations like it. And so don't mis mistake what I'm saying. But the truth is, the Bible gives the glory all to God for the matter of Epaphroditus experiencing healing. And so what man could not do, God in his mercy reached down and did. He healed a disease-inflicted man. And there's some of you in here, you've got a sickness, you can't explain it. A doctor can't help you heal it. And the truth is... You might be at your wit's end and finding help in any other resource. But God can have mercy on you. You don't stop believing and you don't stop praying and you don't start trusting God because He is well able to help you with whatever, whatever ailment you might be going through today. And I thank God for that powerful truth in the Scripture. And so a sacrificial servant is eager to share the blessings of what God has done. The maniac in Gadara... Jesus could have told Epaphroditus, hey, go back home to your friends and tell them how great things God has done for you. That's the burden that filled Epaphroditus' heart. He wanted to go back and tell his church family what God had done. That was his motivation. And so we see the model of a sacrificial servant. We see the motives of a sacrificial servant. Very briefly, I want to look at the management of sacrificial service. The management of it. I don't have a lot of time to park here, but... God crosses your path with such a person who embodies this same spirit of Epaphroditus. How are you supposed to respond to him? I believe Paul told the church how he wanted them to respond to a guy like Epaphroditus. And just three, three brief things here. The first is this. You need to rejoice over him. Rejoice over him. Verse 28, the Bible says at the latter part of the verse, uh, when you see him again, I want you to rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful Paul wanted the believers to be glad at Epaphroditus' return. He didn't want the fact that Epaphroditus walked in the church that Sunday to sadden them, to gladden them. He wanted them to be glad because God had done a significant work and God had fulfilled his purpose through Epaphroditus' mission and he didn't want, that, want them to doubt that. And let me just say, you can rejoice in the will of God. You can rejoice in the will of God. Even when a servant of God has to endure hardship, you can rejoice in what God has done through it. This church was brokenhearted for Epaphroditus, but seeing the whole thing in full picture, he wanted to send Epaphroditus home, and he wanted them to receive him with, with gladness, receive him with joy, not because he had to go through that trial, but because of what God did through that trial. So the Bible later tells us in Philippians 4.4, 4, hey, rejoice in the Lord, or in the will of God, always. Again, I say rejoice. You can always find a reason to rejoice no matter what you're going through in life. And that's what, the, that's what Paul commended, uh, recommended the church do in receiving Epaphroditus home. And so rejoice over him. The next thing he mentions is you need to receive him. Verse 29, the Bible says, Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness. Paul wanted them to receive Epaphroditus in a spirit of gladness. Now that word receive, it means to welcome or to embrace with open arms. 
uh, or to take back in. It's literally talking about this familial type of reception. We're glad you're home. And boy, it's, it's such a sad thing. And hear me out on this. Such a sad thing. I, I, I've heard from so many missionaries on this. They spend, they, spend, they spend time halfway across the world serving the Lord. And they come back home and they're not received well. Come back to our churches and half the people don't even know who they are. Presumably, they're the missionary of our church, but half of them don't even know who they are. And they got all these questions, these nitpicky questions about the ministry they were doing and, and all these types of things. And Paul didn't want that for Epaphroditus. He said, when he comes back home, don't question him and, and how he served. And, well, you should have stayed longer. Well, you should have worked harder. Well, you shouldn't have got sick. Why did you get sick? Don't try to question him about all the things that happened. That was God's will. When he comes home, I want you to receive him. And uh, it's so easy to question people's motives, to question people's actions. But when you cross paths with a sacrificial servant of the Lord, someone who gave their life to the cause of Jesus Christ, you ought to, wel you ought to welcome them. You ought to receive that type of person in your, into your life. You may not agree with everything they did, but you ought to welcome them. That's what Paul tells us to do. That's what the Lord tells us to do. And so, hey, uh, rejoice over him, receive him. And the third thing he says here is you need to regard him guard him. Verse number 29, the Bible says uh, there, and hold such a man in reputation. Paul told them to hold such a man in high value is what it's saying there, in reputation or esteem him very highly to, to, to prize such a person as this. I think that Paul was aware, like Jesus had said, that a prophet is not without honor save within his own country. As this hometown boy was coming back home, he told the church, you need to honor him. Put his life on the line for Jesus. You need to honor this person, uh, Epaphroditus, because of what he's done for the cause of Christ. And can I say there's nothing wrong honoring a servant of the Lord? There's no nothing wrong with uh, esteeming someone very highly for sacrificing their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. I, almost every time Brother, Brother Lyle comes back and, and Miss Arlene, I like to talk about him. And they don't like it that I like to talk about them, but I don't care, okay? Um, nothing wrong with honoring a man and a woman who served the Lord faithfully and pastored for decades and led people to the Lord and ministered. Nothing wrong with talking about one another in this room. There have been many of you that have served the Lord. No recognition, no pay, just, hey, you just wanted to serve God and you've won souls. And There's nothing wrong with honoring each other. Uh, and that's what the Bible says. When you, have, when you come cross paths with someone who sacrificially serves the Lord, such a person is worthy of being respected. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we've got to move on to the last thing here. We've seen the model of sacrificial service. We've seen the motives. We've seen the management of the sacrificial servant. The final thing I want you to see is the measure. Measure of sacrificial service. Just how far was this sacrificial servant of the Lord, Epaphroditus, willing to go? How far was he willing to go? Look at verse 30 and we'll be done. The Bible says in verse number 30, it says this, Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. The Bible literally says that in carrying out the mission that God had called him to, he did not regard his life. He even almost lost his life. 
cause of Jesus Christ. In other words, he threw his own well-being aside and nearly died to do what God had called him to do in his ministry to Paul. Now that phrase, not regarding, it's a very interesting uh, Greek word that I was able to study uh, out a little bit this week. And the, uh, the word literally means to roll the dice, not regarding. It means to roll the dice. Uh, it speaks of gambling. And in this context, obviously, it's talking about taking a risk with your own life, like I referred to earlier on. And uh, the Greek word, um, uh, there was a group of, of, of Christians who took this same concept of risking your life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I read about them this week. And they were called the... Uh, Parablani, and uh, it was really, really interesting because that's the same Greek word that's used to talk about how Epaphroditus risked his life or gambled his life for the cause of Christ. And the Parablani were a group of people, Christians, men and women, who, in following Epaphroditus' example, took upon themselves this name, risk takers, or uh, literally in English it means the gamblers. All right, so there you go. You had a group, uh, a group called the gamblers in Christian history. Okay. Um, they weren't gambling with at casinos and other things like that. They were gambling with their lives. And what they were known for is that they would go into cities where a disease had stricken the city and everyone else had run away. And they'd go at, at the at risk of their own life and minister to the sick and share the gospel with those who were hurting. And they would go and do these types of things, and that's why they were called the gamblers or the parabolani. And uh, it reminds me exactly of what Epaphroditus had done here. I think about our church during COVID and everybody, especially in 2020, was so up in arms about, well, what if, what, if, uh, what if we die? What if we catch this illness? And I was so thankful for so many in our church that we got to a point where we just said, you know what? We might get it. We didn't know a whole lot about it early on, looking back on it now. Uh, well, I can't say too many things about COVID without hurting people's feelings, so I'll just get off of that. But um, anyways, I was so thankful that we were able to resume services and get back into ministry. And I was especially thankful the summer of 2020, um, we, we actually went door to door and we're bringing resources to, to people's houses to try to be a blessing to them. And you know, the amazing thing about that was uh, I've been knocking doors in this community for eight years now. And there have been people I've knocked on their door and they just slammed their door in my face every single time. But if I, when I knocked on their door and I had a piece of toilet paper, oh man, tell me all about Jesus, okay? <laughs> it's great. But it, I'm not saying we took any great risks. You know, I, I'm not even comparing myself to so many wonderful martyrs and people in church history. What I'm saying is, hey, we as Christians don't have to live scared. We as Christians, hey, we can risk our life for Christ because we know He's got us. He's going to take care of us. And it really is no risk. The world may look at it as a risk, but it's no risk to us to lay down our life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And boy, how significant that is. And so my question for you is, have you risked anything for Jesus? Have you risked anything for Jesus? The Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, and verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I can fulfill my ministry for Jesus. I don't even care if I live or not, Paul said. I want to do what God's called me to do. So he gambled it all. Uh, the next thing I see is that a sacrificial servant, how far he's willing to go, he's willing to give it all. 
apostle said at the end of the verse, he did all this to supply your lack of service toward me. When you first read that, it sounds like a rebuke to the church at Philippi, but that's, that's not what was happening here. Um, if the whole church wasn't able to pack up and move and, go to, and go, to, go to Paul in Rome. And so what he's saying was, hey, Epaphroditus brought your gift, but you guys weren't here present with me, but Epaphroditus was. And so he was able to do what you guys weren't able to do. He supplied your lack of personal service to me by coming to be with me. Uh, and what, you, what we discover about this guy, Epaphroditus, is that when he went, he didn't just bring the gift and leave. He brought the gift from Philippi and he stayed. He kept serving. Some people even suggest that the gift that the church of Philippi sent was insufficient. And so Epaphroditus got a job and started to work a job to help make, make up for the funds that the apostle needed to take care of himself. I don't know if that's true or not. But the point is, he gave it all. He gave it his all for the cause of Jesus Christ and a sacrificial servant of the Lord will be, able, will be willing to do all that is necessary to accomplish the mission that God has given him uh, for the cause of Christ. I don't have time to tell, to tell the story of Jim Elliott, but I love his statement that he made about his life. He's a man that literally gave his life as a missionary. He said that these words. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Never give something to the Lord that it won't be worth it. Maybe here, but certainly in eternity, it'll all be worth it. So I told you at the beginning of our study this morning that God desires for you to be a sacrificial servant, someone who will put your life on the line for the cause which God has called you to. We live in a society that doesn't like to take risks. We're all about our own security. We as Christians can be this way too. Face it, most people become Christians because of the risk of not becoming Christians. What do you mean? Well, some people affectionately call it fire insurance, okay? <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be punished for my sin. By the way, the Bible says if some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Right? The Bible does talk about that. And uh, certainly that was the case for me when I was a young man. I understood what I deserved for my sin, and I, and I called out to Jesus to save me from my sin. So often we're just consumed with our own safety, and it's, it's all about us. We live our lives consumed with our own security as well. It's all about making money and taking care of ourselves, building, uh, building up our wealth so that we'll be taken care of in our older age, taking care of our own health needs, and so on and so forth. And we can be all about trying to secure ourselves. God is calling us, risk it all for Him. You say, well, pastor, if I start tithing, I don't think that I'll be able to make ends meet. Why don't you just take a risk on God? Many amens on that one, by the way. As an example... So I just don't know what will happen if I, if I move from my job and do what I feel like God's wanting me to do. Why don't you just go ahead and risk it? If that's what God's calling you to do, he'll take care of you. He's calling us to do. I don't, I, you, there's a lot of things that we don't know, but there's one thing we do know, and that, that is God is faithful, and God is trustworthy, and God takes care of his people. And if there's anything you're going to risk your life for, it ought to be for the cause of Jesus Christ, what he's called you to in your life and uh, boy, so many more things we could say on that. But my final question I ask you is, would you be willing to risk it all for Jesus? What is God calling you to take a risk on today? Would you be willing to become a sacrificial servant of Jesus? Oh, 
First and foremost, the most important thing that you should understand is where you're going to spend eternity at. Before you ever think about sacrificing anything for Jesus, you need to understand that Jesus was sacrificed for you, save you from your sin. And if you're in here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says today's the day. Today's the day, and now's the time for you to come trust Jesus as your Savior, and He's made it very easy. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I hope that you'll come during this invitation and make that decision to confess Jesus as your Savior. Let's bow our heads.